Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Go check out Morbidly Beautiful right now for all your horror pop culture needs from interviews, reviews, top 10 lists, and well, basically anything you can think of. There's a huge library podcast as well, which I highly suggest checking out, including my newest one called Cheer and Loathing featuring Stephanie the editor-in-chief of Morbidly Beautiful. It's good fun, we laugh, I make her cry, not really. But she probably wants to. I mean, who wouldn't after spending an hour or so with me every week? But I digress. I do apologize for missing last week. Things just got out of hand and I wasn't able to find half an hour to an hour in the day, in the week, to record. So I do apologize. But we're coming back Not quite swinging this week, but I thought I'd bring back an old favorite, and that would be the history of demons. People seem to like these episodes a lot more than other ones for some reason, I don't know why. I guess people just like learning about the damned. We of course will be reading from the wonderful Dictionary of Demons by Michelle Bellinger. I really want to get her on the show one day. I wonder if she'd be willing to sit down and chat with me. Beside the point on that as well... We're just going to get into it. We have a potentially good amount to get through today, and my allergies are kicking my ass, so I want to get through this before I start sneezing all over the place, and then I sound like I've got the flu. And today we're going to be looking at the Watcher Angels. Who they are, what they are, who's associated with them, and a little bit of one-on-one time with them as well. Also, we have some other demons we'll throw in there just for funsies. So sit back and enjoy. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. So right off the get, I'm going to let you know, you're going to hear a lot of this throughout as I'm reading from an analog book. Yes, a legitimate paper book. Not off the internet, not off a Word document. You can't script this really all that well. I want to get it right. So here we are. We're going to be reading straight from the book, and you're going to hear a lot of page turning, so just pre-warned. It's nothing to be concerned about. I'm not losing audio quality. I'm just reading a book. So we're going to start with the Watcher Angels, sometimes also called the Grigori, from the Greek word meaning to watch. The Watcher Angels are heavenly beings believed to have come down to the mortal world in order to mate with human women. They are associated with the sons of God mentioned in Genesis 6-4. The passage reads, The sons of God came unto daughters of men, and they bare children unto them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. This story remains a fragment in the Bible, never fully elaborated upon in the canonical text. The full story appears in the book of Enoch, a text that was once considered scripture but was removed from the Bible canon around the 3rd century of the Common Era. According to the Book of Enoch, in the days before the Flood, 200 Watcher Angels met on the slopes of Mount Hermon and agreed to leave heaven in order to pursue more human lives. They were led by the angels Azazel and Shemaizah. They took wives from among the daughters of men, siring children and teaching their new families forbidden knowledge, such as root-cutting, astrology, and the art of cosmetics. 
The children of the Watchers were giants compared to their mortal mothers, and thus their existence gave rise to the biblical notion of, quote, giants in the earth, translated in the New International Version of the Nephilim. The plural Nephilim is generally used to refer to these half-angelic offspring. You may remember the episode I did on the Nephilim way back when. The word is often variously translated as meaning the fallen ones, or sometimes miscarriage, as reference to the difficult births alleged to accompany the bearing of these giants. The offspring of the Watchers are sometimes also referred to as Giborium, meaning giants, and Raphaim, translated as heroes or men of renown. The Anakim, referenced in Numbers 13.22.33, may also refer to a tribe of descendants from these fallen angels. The Book of Enoch was so thoroughly suppressed once it was cut from the Bible canon that it was lost for over a thousand years. But the legend of the Watchers was a persistent one, and it was not limited solely to the Book of Enoch. Versions of the tale can be found spread throughout Jewish sources, such as Haggadah and the Chronicles of Jeremiel. References to the Watcher angels also appear in the Testament of Solomon. In this text, many of the demons summoned by the biblical monarch proclaim their status as the offspring of angels. A few claim to be the fallen angels themselves still walking the earth and causing trouble. The material in the Testament of Solomon suggests that the story of the Watchers may in fact lie at the root of the belief that demons and fallen angels reside in the earth seeking to corrupt humanity. In the Book of Enoch, the Watchers and all of their children are punished for their transgressions. The angelic fathers are bound hand and foot in the desert, and their half-angelic sons are wiped from the earth. In the Jewish sources like the Haggadah, however, only some of the Watchers are punished. Others, such as Azazel, are thought to be active in the world. So now that we have a background of some of these angels and what they were and who they are and who they may be still on Earth, let's look at some of them in more detail. I believe we've already looked at Azazel. So we're going to go to the other one mentioned there, and that would be Shemayaza. A fallen angel frequently presented as one of the two leaders of the Watcher Angels, along with the angel Azazel. According to the Book of Enoch, it was Shemayazah who first had the idea to leave heaven in order to take wives among beautiful daughters of men. When 200 of the other Watcher Angels agreed to engage in this sin, Shemayazah made them all gather on the slopes of Mount Hermon and swear a pact to take joint responsibility for the deed so that the sole responsibility would not fall to him. In addition to polluting his heavenly nature by indulging in sex with mortal women, Shemayazah is also credited with having taught early humanity the art of enchantment and root cutting. Although he taught this forbidden knowledge, Shemayazah's main sin depicted in the Book of Enoch is one of lust. In Jewish legends around the birth of Noah, Shemayazah appears under the name Shemayazai. Here, he is again paired with the fallen angel Azazel. In Ginsberg's Legends of the Jews, a collection of the Jewish Haggadah, the familiar story of the Book of Enoch plays out, with Azazel and Shemayazai leaving heaven to consort with mortal women. According to this text, Shemayazai sired two angel-human hybrid sons, named Hiwa and Haya, an abbreviation of Shemayaz's name may appear in the collection 
of Jewish folklore known as the Chronicles of Jeremiel. Here, a passage refers to the angels Azah and Azazel, who fell due to their desires for mortal women. According to this text, they were punished by being suspended forever between heaven and earth. The same punishment was meted out in the Haggadah. But Shemaizai is depicted as a willing penitent, while the fallen angel Azazel is said to resist punishment and continue in his wicked ways. Now I'm not sure about you, but it seems like Azazel is the ultimate rebel. Maybe just falling behind Lucifer, no pun intended. He seems to want a lot out of his angelic nature and then indulge in the mortal sins as well, and then doesn't want to take responsibility for it. He's resisting his punishment, which I assume was handed down from God himself or herself or itself, whatever you want to think of God as. Just a strange dude. Kind of respect him though. I mean, how could you not? Anyway, continuing on, we have Orneus. Now that's not to be confused with Oriens, who I looked at uh, the last time I think I did the History of Demons. But Oriens has a slight connection to the Watcher Angels. So let's just take a look at this, shall we? Orneus, the Half-Eater, which is kind of a cool name, I guess. This demon is pivotal to the Testament of Solomon. In this extra-biblical text, King Solomon is reputedly given the power to compel and control demons by the Lord God. Solomon prayed for this ability because a young laborer working on Solomon's temple was being victimized by a demon who ate half of his share of food every day. Orneus is that demon. He is the first demon who Solomon gains power over and, and he subsequently leads Solomon to all the other demons named in this ancient text. Orneus is said to appear as an incubus to women and as a succubus to men. An adept shapeshifter, he can also take the form of a lion. When he appeared to the young laborer, he was said to manifest in the form of a burning fire. Orneus is a demon of ambiguous intentions, as he also claims to strangle men who lust after noble virgins, demonstrating a protective, if not violent, side. In his first interview with Solomon, in the Testament of Solomon, Orneus states, I am the offspring of the archangel Uriel, the power of God. In this statement, Orneus links himself as well as the Solomonic tradition with the Watcher Angels myth that appears in the Book of Enoch. Possibly because of their blood relation, the name of the archangel Uriel is said to hold power over Orneus, and this name is used to command the demon to give up the names and whereabouts of his fellows. He may appear in later editions of the Gosha as the demon Orius, sometimes also rendered as Oriax. Now that's the last Watcher Angel we're going to look at on this list. I do have one more demon I want to go over today before we call it Raps. And before we get onto that, I just want to say that I enjoy doing the History of Demons, hopefully as much as you enjoy listening to it. For one major reason, I learn as I go. A lot of the times I just kind of open the book and read whatever is in front of me, and I find that's the best way to get a legitimate reaction out of me and even you. That's why I sound a little bit funny, because it's not my own words. These are credited to Michelle Bellinger and the hard work she did. I just have to throw that out there. I did not write this. This is not my script. Even this little speech here is off the cuff. And I don't know about you, but I think it's a whole hell of a lot of fun. 
What do you think? Let me know somehow. Facebook. We did get a Facebook message the other day, and I'm going to get to that at the end of the episode. So now there's a cliffhanger, and you have to stay and listen to the whole thing. <laughs> Anywho. This last demon on the list has one of the coolest names, I think, in the entire book. Shax. S-H-A-X. The 44th demon in the Gosha. He also appears in Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft. In Wyrus's Pseudo-Demonicaria Demonum, his name is given as Chax. C-H-A-X. He is said to manifest in the form of a stork with a voice that is both hoarse and subtle. He has the power to render people deaf, blind, and dumb. There's too many jokes in there. I'm, nah, I'm not gonna, can't, can't do it. He's both a liar and a thief, stealing horses as well as money from the houses of any king. He will not tell the truth unless magically compelled to do so. And while he gives familiars, the conjurer is cautioned to ensure that these do not share his propensity for deception. He will reveal the location of things that are hidden so long as they are not kept by wicked spirits. Another form of his name is given as Scox, S-C-O-X. He is described as a dark and mighty marquee with 30 legions at his command. In the Gosha of Dr. Rudd, he is said to appear in the form of a stock dove as opposed to a stork. According to this text, he is under the power of the angel Delahaya. Now that does bring us to the end of the episode, and I did mention that I did get a Facebook message. And I'm not going to reveal the name of the person just in case they don't actually want to be known. I think that's fair. They'll let me know, I believe, in a message again if they do want their name shared. But they brought up an amazing topic for me to cover, and I will be looking into that. It is very in-depth, so I'm not sure when I'm going to finish the research into it, but I will do my best, and hopefully we'll have a very grand episode in the near future. But with that said, if you do like what you heard, feel free to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever your phone has it as. Any five-star reviews will be read out on the program, so that is a great way to get a shout-out. Now, while I don't update social media super often, I just can't get the hang of it. Maybe I'm a boomer. I don't know. But you can follow me along on there at Ominous Origins Pod on Instagram, Horror Shots Prod is in productions on Twitter, or Horror Shots on Facebook where you can send me a message and chat about anything. If you have an idea, I'll listen. But that's going to do it for me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next week.